2: Hello. A Tuesday show, normally Friday. Well, here's today's show. Here's what it is. I, You know what I'm never going to do again? Have two shows in one night. Because I feel like I rushed. There were so many questions I wanted to ask Kelly. But because I had a second show, I might have hurried a little bit. Um, she's great. You know, we don't know each other that well, but I feel like we do. She's just a, a bundle of love. You just feel like you've known her your whole life. You know people like that. The minute you meet them, you're just comfortable around them. It's a good type of person to be. And uh, Kelly has a one-woman show. I think that's what you would call it. It's at the Falcon Theater. And it's called A Carlin Home Companion. And it's about growing up with George, her dad, George Carlin. And it's at the Falcon Theater. And it's there January 28th uh, to March 1st. And I'm going probably more than once with everybody from the podcast. We're all going to go. But I don't think I'm going to... I did two shows. Did I just say this? I'm losing my mind. That I'm not going to do two shows in one night anymore because you feel like you're hurrying. So we'll have her back. And next time we'll just do one show. Have more time to be silly and ask questions and be silly and then ask more questions. And, but anyway, she's she's awesome. And uh, you just go to... Um, I guess you go to falcontheater.com and find out about tickets. But again, it's January 28th to March 1st, a Carlin home companion growing up with George. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So enjoy the show, and then that's it. You're great. I'm proud of you. What am I proud of you for? Because. I don't have to have anything. All right. Roll it in, Aristotle.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com.
0: The Todd Glass
3: situation. A bunch of lies about my personal life and a bunch of true stories about my 30 year career in Stand Up County. Please welcome to the program, the very funny Todd Glass! Oh, exciting. Hi,
0: Todd.
3: It's Marin. Mark Marin. I don't know what I got to do to get on your fucking show.
0: Hi. Hey, it's Zach. Oh. No, Zach. Oh. Listen,
3: man, I really want to come on the I the guess podcast. I'm, like, famous. I've got stuff to
0: promote.
2: <laughs> Veteran comedian and podcast pioneer is with us, and now best-selling author. <laughs> Todd Glass. How are you doing, Todd? Oh, Jesus, Norm MacDonald. If
1: you don't fucking call me
3: back this time, then don't call me ever again. Take Sarah off of there. She's not
2: relevant anymore.
0: David Feldman. I'm Jewish.
2: Why would he call? That doesn't, that's stupid. Most frequent guest on the program. Oh. Uh, You've set a record four times. It's your fourth appearance. Todd Glass, everybody. Thank you. Enough with this already. Well, play one more.
3: Please say hello to Comedy's oh, national well, that's treasure, true. Todd Glass. All
2: righty, not a big deal, everybody. We come in. Aristotle, you can applaud. I appreciate it. I don't. Kelly Carlin's here. Uh oh. All right. I want to be. I'm. Look at me, Kelly. Do, do we have anything special for Kelly? Like we could play her in with? We'd like to do something.
0: Ah. Kelly. Kelly, 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 Carlin, on the Todd Glass show. Kelly, 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 Carlin, a Carlin home compared to. Kelly, 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 Kelly,
1: Kelly, Carlin. Wow. Wow. You're gonna have to come to my house every morning. Kelly, 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 Kelly,
2: Kelly, Carlin. Kelly Carlin, everybody. All right, so Kelly. Yes. How you doing?
1: I'm great. My God, Bubbles and a light thing and a theme song.
0: Play it again. She loves it. Wow. Kelly, 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 Carlin. On the Todd Glass Show. Kelly, 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 Carlin. A Carlin home companion. Kelly, 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 Carlin. Waking up from the American. Kelly
1: Kelly Kelly Kelly, <laughs> Kelly Kelly
2: Kelly 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 huh. Wow. How are you? You're good. We I'm
1: really about good. I'm great. So, I'm fantastic. You know,
2: I, I I think we touched on this when I did your show. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the whole thing with like you know having your own identity outside yes. of of your your dad. That man. And did it did it change as you grew? Because like, what I thought was I wanted to ask so many questions about your dad, but then I thought, and then I thought to myself, well, if somebody wanted to know about my dad, <laughs> I would always be happy. I'd be like, oh yeah. But then I thought, but she wants to. So like, <laughs> but
1: after thirty years of ans- answering
2: I, those questions, that's multiply. <laughs> I get it. Because you know what it is, not anybody asked me about my dad. Right. So when they did, but after right. a while. Of course, you, you're in, inwardly, you're like, Oh my god, I'm happy. But then we have a right to like, then feel like, Oh, you know, I get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think it, I do. it's been an interesting progression. Uh, I mean, right after he died, I felt like he was it was my job to talk about him, and I kind of became his voice and face out there when I mean, like, immediately four months after he died, uh, a DVD of his last HBO show was coming out. So, who was talking about it? I was to the press, and so I got. Practice doing that, and and as time went on, you know, I did a lot of that, and then, you know, there's something about it's been six and a half years now, and about nine months ago, I kind of got really, 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 really fed up with it all. I was like a member of all these George Carlin fan clubs on Facebook and stuff like that, and I had was kind of you know administering one and stuff, and I just. I just hit a wall with all of it because it just it got so big and so intense. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm 51 years old. I'm not living my dad's life. Um, So I love talking about my dad. But I tell people nowadays, for the last six years, I've been talking about my dad for six years, if you really want to know what I have to say, there are 10,000 podcasts I've been on and major mainstream media stuff where I've talked about it, you know, and yet, I have a book and a solo show about growing up with my dad, so I'm a total asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, and I, I, when does it, have you done this at all yet, the show? Have you ever, have you done it yet?
1: Yes, Prevenza and I started developing it four years, five years ago. 20, 20, 20, four years ago, 2011. And uh, I've been doing it at comedy festivals. I did all of the Just for Laughs festivals. I did Sketch Fest. And then I did one-offs and stuff. But this, what we're doing right now at the Falcon Theater starting next week, is Broadway show level. It's set, lighting, projection. I mean, it's an amazing... And where is it
2: at here in Los Angeles?
1: The Falcon Theater, well, uh, which is theater. in Toluca Lake, right across from the famous Bob's Big Boy. Isn't that where Bob Hope used to go? Yes, all the time? is that true? Yes, it is true. And yeah. is it
2: true at the end? I say this in all respect. Someone said it in a loving way. They go, he he might at this point not be aware of who he is.
1: I don't know about that. You don't know about. I, that? I just know he used to. He would say very misogynistic things. Very loudly To women walking by (laughs) Because he was Bob Open It was in his mind Probably 1935 I I don't know You know Kelly
2: I used to say that If you don't shed Some of that stuff Out of your vocabulary Or whatever Because you just grow But if you're just doing it Because your publicist Says you can't do it anymore I (laughs) fear for those people As they get older Because they're going to Let their guard down the
1: filter goes away The filter goes away It does And the racism And all that comes out It does there's somebody
2: else I'm worried sick about right now Because I love them to death Which I don't want to (laughs) say it is but anyway um so uh so it and it starts on january 28th oh that's coming up
1: yeah it's next it's next it's ni- nine nine n- 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 nine days away i'm <laughs> just a little <laughs>
2: how long is it
1: it's a 90 minute show is there video oh yeah
2: baby Do you have pictures of a you... oh
1: yeah baby it is a multimedia storytelling extravaganza it's a real theater experience it's it's and what they're doing with the multimedia This before in the past, I would go to these kind of black box places or whatever, a screen and me and, you know, maybe three or four places on stage to stand. And that was it. Now we have a set with these multiple pieces behind me that are all you can project on all of them. So there's going to be that this is what we're going to doing this week in tech, figuring all this out. Uh, but, yes, it's it opens with a video of my dad. So a lot of the show is me, hi, him, starts with him. And then, you know, I'm not direct. Sometimes I'm directly talking about it. But other times I'm, you know, it's part of, like, the the era we're talking about or a subject matter or... Um, Paul and I just tried to use the video in, in kind of ways that were sometimes a little oblique, sometimes on the nose. You know, it was really fun trying to figure all that out.
2: Um, I... You know, like I, I got a little man. They always say you should be honest, but I was like, there's so many fucking questions. Like, I, I we use that as our safe word on the show to George Carlin because.
1: <laughs> well, okay. The first time I heard your podcast, I thought, what, what did he just say? Did, <laughs> did he just mention my dad's? What the hell's going on here? And then, he, oh, and I was like, okay, all right, all right, all right. It's a little strange. Glad he's not at my house every day saying that. <laughs> <all weird."
2: laughs> I said it. I. I for- I think it started with Daniel Kino because, you know, the whole God thing, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I was just – you know, I, I don't believe in the traditional sense right. of that. And I just – but I know. I get it. You just say swear to God. But to me, if I look in someone's eye and and I say swear to God, you know, whatever, or I won't – like, the one I don't want to do is on your health. If somebody goes on, on, on my yes. health, I don't break that. Yeah. I don't believe it could do anything, but I don't break it. Right. So, but we thought, what can we come up with different? And I think because your dad said to Joe <laughs> Pesci, didn't yes. he say – Yes. Daniel Kino goes, we'll just say to George That's Carlin. Great. It's and it, great.
1: And you know what it's it a did? a beautiful homage.
2: That it freed up was... Saying swear to God when we're lying, <laughs> right. so the listening audience that's new might not know. But like, I can say like, "Do you swear to God?" And we'll make blatant, horrific <laughs> right. lies because to George Carlin is way sacred. more
1: sacred. Right, right, yes, right. That, right, that right, I right. never break.
2: I ah, never fucking break it. I love that. So, um, so you know, I, I, I just have so many questions, and, and I, I I know you might have talked about this before, but I but I love that. You know, when somebody says like, um, "Well, George Carlin said that," and uh-huh. they're taking for granted. Well, there's two things I say. One, where are your bits? Even if, even underline if on one thing, I didn't agree with something he said. Sure. 15 years ago. Sure. Even if that's true, um, where are your bits? The comedians that reference him that are a thousand years ahead of their time, right? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yes. I think in religion, I tell you the truth. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to. Maybe a thousand isn't over exaggerating. He might have been 500 years ahead of his time to. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, sh- you know. Yeah. And um, but I always so so um. So, But even if it was something that I don't agree with, I love that they take for granted when they thought they were going to stop evolving the day they died. Mm. How many years ago did you say it was? Six and a half. I know it's always like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I know. But that's a real shut the fuck up. I know.
1: What? I know.
2: Because you know what? You think it's been three years or two, and you go, oh, I bet it's
1: four. Yeah. And then you're like, what? Yeah, 2008. Wow. Yeah. yeah it It'll be go- seven years this year. That's, that's, that, I've like all new cells in my body. Like that's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that he would have kept, who knows if he would have had different bits that would have changed as he went. But the one that I love that you brought clarity to it, it made me feel so good. Do you, you want to guess what it is?
1: No. What is it? The,
2: the, uh, the people with global warming.
1: Oh yeah. That yeah. That
2: attach themselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Can to- you, can you, uh, well what I've found, fa- what I've one of the frustrations of, of being his daughter and him being such, you know, have such a philosophy and a, a position and a point of view is that now people are trying to reinvent or use his language or use a quote in a fucking Facebook meme. Ugh, it just fucking drives me crazy. Letting it go, though. I really have I'm really trying to let it go. Um, <clears throat> so these people believe these global warming, glo- climate change deniers love bringing up his big piece, The Planet is Fine, saying, well, see, George Carlin compl- you know, was saying that it doesn't matter about plastic. You know, that's Man isn't affecting things because look at all the, the ice ages and the volcanoes, and he does that great rant in the middle of it where it's just insane. And by the way, that clip is in my show. And I say to them, no, 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 people. First of all, I'm
2: going to do something now real quick so I don't have to do it in post. Uh-huh. Roll that bid in right now and the audience will hear it and then we'll come back to this. So
3: you got people like this around you. Country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, every minute of the day worried about everything. Worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil. Worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens, worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos, worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It's arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, over, way over 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day. And I mean regardless of our our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. And the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What, are these fucking people kidding me? Save the planet, we don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to care for one another. We're gonna save the fucking planet? I'm getting tired of that shit.
0: Tired of that shit,
3: tired. I'm tired of fucking Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists, these white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. People trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. Besides, environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live their own habitat they're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced narrow unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me besides there is nothing wrong with the planet nothing wrong with the planet the planet is fine the people are fucked (laughs) Difference. Difference. difference difference the planet is fine compared to the people the planet is doing great. It's been here four and a half billion years. Do you ever think about the arithmetic? Planet has been here four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000, maybe 200,000. And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat, that somehow we're gonna put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a-floating around the sun. The planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things worse than us. Been through earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles, hundreds of thousands of years of bombardment by comets and asteroids and meteors, worldwide floods, tidal waves, worldwide fires, erosion, cosmic rays, recurring ice ages, and we think some plastic bags and some aluminum cans are going to make a difference? The planet... The planet... The planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away. And we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe. little styrofoam. The planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. (laughs) A surface nuisance. (laughs) You want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people at Pompeii who are frozen into position (laughs) from volcanic ash how the planet's doing. I wonder if the planet's all right, ask those people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a threat to the planet this week. <laughs> How about those people in Kilauea, Hawaii, who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room? <laughs> the planet will be here for a long, long, long time after we're gone and it will heal itself it will cleanse itself cuz that's what it does it's a self-correcting system the air and the water will recover the earth will be renewed and if it's true that plastic is not degradable well the planet will simply incorporate plastic into a new paradigm the earth plus plastic (laughs) the earth doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic plastic came out of the earth the earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children Could be the only reason the Earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. (laughs) Didn't know how to make it. Needed us. Could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, Why are we here? Plastic. Assholes. So. So. The plastic is here, our job is done, we can be phased out now. And I think that's really started already, don't you? I mean, to be fair, the planet probably sees us as a mild threat, something to be dealt with, Then I'm sure the planet will defend itself in in, in the uh, manner of a large organism, like a beehive or an ant colony can muster a defense. I'm sure the planet will think of something. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky, troublesome species? Let's see. What might... Hmm, viruses. Viruses might be good. They seem vulnerable to viruses. And uh, viruses are tricky, always mutating and forming new strains whenever a vaccine is developed. Perhaps this first virus could be one... That, that compromises the immune system of these creatures, perhaps a human immunodeficiency virus, making them vulnerable to all sorts of other diseases and infections that might come along, and maybe it could be spread sexually, making them a little reluctant to engage in the act of reproduction. Well, that's a poetic note, and it's a start, and I can dream, can I? See, I don't worry about the little things, bees, trees, whales, snails. I think we're part of a greater wisdom than we will ever understand a higher order, call it what you want. You know what I call it? The big electron. The big electron,
0: whoa, whoa,
3: whoa. It doesn't punish, it doesn't reward, it doesn't judge at all, it just is. And so are we, for a little while. Thanks for being here with me for a little while tonight. <laughs>
2: Okay. They just heard it.
1: So, so the thing is my, what really my dad was talking about in that piece was a we're Yes. On some level we are just humans and mother nature is larger than us for sure. But what he was really talking about was the yuppies and their obsession with quote unquote saving the planet. Like it was some sort of altruistic thing. Whereas he knew damn well that it was an extremely selfish position because they're not trying to save the planet. They're trying to save the species, so just fucking say that. Don't be all like save the whales, save the dolphins. It's no, it's like save the humans if that's <laughs> what you really mean. And so he, what he was saying was that if you think recycling tin can, you know, aluminum cans and cutting up your little plastic things that the tin cans come in is going is going to be the thing that saves the planet. That thing, you know, there's just a lot of. A human arrogance in that now would my dad uh especially i mean six years ago when when he died we were just starting to have the global warming conversation in some serious way i mean it had been happening for a while but that's like when al gore's thing got kind of viral and all of that would my dad today sit here and say that uh you know man's obsession with uh Uh, Internal combustion engines has not made an effect on this planet. Of course, he would believe that. Of course, it's it's science, people. He was a man of science.
2: You know, that's why I fucking calms me to hear you say that. (laughs) And you know what? Uh, It's not your opinion. I think it's the fucking facts, Jack.
1: Yeah, it's the truth about it. You know, so so and yet I've learned, and what I've needed to do as a human being who needs to exist on the planet and have other things in my floating in my head. All day is, I can't spend my day on Facebook correcting people. I just can't. I just have to hope that enough fans and enough comedians and enough of his legacy stands true. That you know, whatever happens in a hundred years with what he said, hopefully some truth will still exist. Then uh, that's all I can right. hope. But it's not my job to be, you know, kind of the Carlin uh, police.
2: <laughs> I think if I were you, I would. I, I can imagine thinking that is you want to do it at your job and just go in the back of your head where the crown is just going I can't fucking
0: take it anymore. Yeah
1: and, and I really do want to do it because I'm so proud of my dad and I am in awe of what he would say and what he did and uh, and, and, and I'm you know I'm an only child so you know our, our family was really tight and I would defend my dad till my dying day but at the same time, I know my dad would te- would sit me down and say, "Kel, go live your life. It's not your job. Do not do not be the person who's going to police my legacy." You know, i mean, like, "I've protected the most important parts of it." He'd be like, "Get on with your life, Kelly. Go do your work." is what he would right. say.
2: And is your mom still alive?
1: No, I lost her. In ninety seven. What was her name? Brenda. Brenda? Brenda Carlin, yeah.
2: Brenda Carlin. Yeah. And and how were they married?
1: Yes, they were married the day she died. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really? yeah, you'll find, you'll see all about it in the show. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I tell I talk about their their meeting and date in Dayton, Ohio and and how they met and all of that. And, and how
2: how did your mom die?
1: She died of liver cancer.
2: And was it long?
1: No, it wasn't actually. It was Uh, she had been, she had breast cancer 14 years earlier and they say that this cancer didn't have anything to do with it. She had hepatitis C and she had been uncomfortable and not feeling well for a while. But when they diagnosed her, it was really quick. She died five weeks later. So it was, it was quick. Yeah.
2: And and obviously the the better than the long, it's all shitty, but
1: it's all shitty. But yeah, yeah, it's, there's neither, yeah, it's nothing good about it. Where did you live? I, I grew up here in L.A. I didn't. I wasn't born in L.A., but we moved here in '66, and so we lived on basically the West Side. We lived in Beverly Hills, rented in Beverly Hills, but we lived in Venice Beach before it was cool and and yuppies. And uh, we lived in the Palisades, and we lived in Brentwood. M- my parents' last house together was in Brentwood, so I spent most of my years in Brentwood.
2: And and um. Did you um? Because I remember when my niece and nephew were born, my niece and my nephew, yeah, my brother's kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought one day they're going to come see my show, mm-hmm. and now they're twenty two and twenty four, so they have. Do you remember like the first where you're like, okay, I'm concepting what my dad does. I mean, I
1: I knew well, in the '60s he was on the road a lot, and I knew he was on TV. Um, so but it's so weird because you don't really it's just your dad there's no like you know why how's it different than being a doctor it's like you don't I don't think kids have conceptions about jobs really at some point so but but really when he made the change from straight comic to counterculture guy um, and we would go on the road with him and he was like this god you know he was like a rock star And that was really interesting because it was like, oh, you know, and people would be cheering and chanting his name. And there was a a worshiping thing going on. And so and then as his comedy evolved um, and I really started to see the, you know, once I got into my 20s and really saw the cultural um, impact he was having, that was a whole nother level of like, wow, he's shaping a conversation here, or he's one of the guys, you know, him and Richard, and you know, there were only a few guys at that point um, who were really doing the cutting-edge stuff, and so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it, it but evol- it certainly evolved over the years. I
2: hope my questions don't suck. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> so far, no. Okay, so, what do you think, no, yeah. I'm just trying
2: to think, there's so many, because um, I I don't. How old were you? Well, so so you you yeah you were old enough to remember if he if the question I'm about to ask did did when because sometimes I give my opinions and like my friends will say like is it really worth saying that like this is ten years ago right because you're gonna lose fans right and you you do you know you already need like did right. he ever go should I just shut the fuck up or did
1: well that's how he started his career I think I mean he was a straight comic he had short hair he wore suits and he was playing the game he wanted. I, you're going to love my show. I, I I walk you through all of this in my show in such a beautiful theatrical way. But basically... And
2: you're the one to do it. I'm so... Because I know someone else dealing with this. M- Mitch Hedberg's wife is sort of dealing with... Uh-huh. Does it look... Or what? I'm like, no, you're the fucking one to do this. Yeah, You've yeah. You've got to fucking do this. It's okay.
1: It's yeah. not your whole being. Well, and the it's thing part is, of your life. And, and the thing is, my show is, it's it's my story, but my story starts with this foundation, which is my dad and my mom, you know, and and my dad, and it it, it completely shaped my life being his daughter. Um, But so he started out um, towing the line and not speaking his truth. And his stuff was slightly subversive and always very smart. Um, I have these uh, great uh, scrapbooks at my house that my mom kept those first you know, those first years when he was, they were starving to death and uh, these little things, but it would be the hip modern comedy of George Carlin, you know, and he'd have his little tie on and everything. And uh, so his stuff was always commenting about the media and, and politics and things like that. But there was an interesting edge to it. And then, and yet he was, you know, he'd been smoking weed since he was 14. Smoking
2: weed? What are you talking about, smoking weed? <laughs> That's not right. What? Hello? <laughs> Operator? Anybody? Do we have this thing? Can we... He was, Say smoking weed again. Say it again.
1: <laughs> well, he was smoking weed but when he was 14.
2: What? Oh, my God. It's all <laughs> it's fine. Say it again, Kelly. Say it again. <laughs> we'll was... get it right.
1: Don't worry. Say it again. Well, you know, at 14, he was already smoking weed. He was smoking weed at 14. Ye- yes, he was. Imagine that, New York City, 1951. <laughs> I don't know what's
2: going on. You can't get it. It's, I've never felt more bad for Jake because here's what I was thinking. I'm so into the conversation that I'm not really doing the music or right, anything. Right, right, right. So I thought, oh, I'll do a little something here. And then out of all times, <laughs> not for me, I feel bad for Jake because he's like, what the fuck, are you kidding me? This- None <laughs>
1: of the jingles are working. None of them are? It's a jingle What Hold What's on. happening? Hold on, let's go. Let's read. We'll read Kelly. It's, it's not jingle tastic. No, it's not. It's always a button or a lever. That's yeah. what I've learned in this business.
2: It's a button or a lever. It,
1: it, pretty much, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, what did you say about your dad?
1: I said, at the age of fourteen, he was already smoking weed.
2: No, no, no. What? You? Know- oh, you're right. I held up the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, seriously, don't think I'm being... Kelly, okay. all right, what did
1: on. you just say about your dad? You're so good. I've been doing a lot of rehearsing lately, so I'm really used to so someone you're, you're... telling me to say my lines over and over again. Kelly, what did you say about your dad? I said at the age of 14, he was already smoking weed. Oh,
2: I know that wasn't worth all that, but because it wasn't worth all that, it was absolutely fucking worth it. It was worth completely
1: it. worth all that. Okay, so,
2: uh, so at 14, he, he started smoking yeah, weed? so
1: he so he was what they would call back then ahead. He was already a pothead. He was he was a hip guy. He was hanging out with hip musicians and yet he was going off and doing the Copacabana and the Playboy club and as he put it entertaining the people he was hanging out he was entertaining their parents. So he couldn't speak his truth about it. And so the late 60s, 1969, when every good normal person who should be was dropping acid, he was dropping acid. And it really shifted him and he really decided, I mean, he he was really successful in 1969 for a straight comic guy. He was making a lot of money.
2: And what was he where would he perform then?
1: Vegas, Copacabana, Playboy Club. I mean, he was doing all the big big straight clubs, all the big TV shows, everything. And he was like, the, you know, he was the famous stand-up guy, and but he was miserable. Absolutely miserable. And he came home and he said to my mom, I can't do this. I need to go and do my... What did you say your mom's name was again? Brenda. Brenda. And he said, you know, I need to to be real. I need to be authentic on stage. I, I need to really talk about what I want to talk about. And that's when the change came. And that's why his first album was called FM and AM. So the AM side is the clean cut... George Carlin bit's wonderful wino, the Indian sergeant, let's make a deal, all these things he used to do in his act, which were subversive in their own way. And then there's the FM side, which is, you know, s- starting with some of the language stuff and more of the commenting about the culture and stuff like that. So that was his first... He was saying to his his audience, "Hey, look! Here's the AM guy. Now here's the FM guy, and I'm the FM guy. And that's when that's then class clown and occupation fool and blah blah blah. And the rest is history. After that, so so yeah, he was he was a man who, and and but, but the thing about my dad was, which I also talk about in my show, is that he evolves. He evolved. Like when you look at on the outside, I always assumed even." there was like this amazing just straight trajectory of like, look at him. Wow. Leaping, 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 always higher, higher, higher stakes. But there was a period like in the late seventies after he had an enormous amount of fame with all of the class clown and occupation fool and all that stuff where the culture had shifted. Saturday night live is now around SCTV, Monty Python, Steve Martin. There's these other things happening. My generation and a little bit older than me, so my dad was like he was always a, a little older than the people he was entertaining. He was like thirty when the kids were all twenty five, twenty four. Um, so, but so so he had a bit of a down thing at that point, and the eighties wasn't really you know great for him. But by the end of the eighties, and then when he does jamming in New York. Jamming in New York for him was, when I see that show, that's my favorite. That was his favorite show, and that's my favorite show, because that is him fully stepping into a a much bigger arena with a much more strident voice and really taking a stand politically and culturally. And he had not quite ever done that before until that show. And then you see from that show. That was 79? That was 80... uh, 92 was um, jamming in New York. I love hearing this. No, wait. 82. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 92. 92. Yeah.
2: You know, you're right. When I, Because when I hear about his career, if you hear it on, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, E! Hollywood, True Story, or, you know, wherever mm-hmm. they're doing, mm-hmm. you always just think, they make it sound like it all just happened. There was never, they never go, and then this happened. It's just yeah. all like, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, so he dealt with all that same shit.
1: And, you know, it's funny, I learned about his doubts and his feeling like he had kind of you know, gone backwards and all of that by by reading his memoir, his posthumous memoir that we ended up publishing. Um, because he didn't share that with me. And I was a teenager in, in my 20s during those years. And I was having my own life complications, you know, mm. so I wasn't like focusing on, hey, how's dad doing in his career? For me, it was always like, dad's a genius. So dad goes off and does his thing, you know, I didn't. Um, and he didn't really share that kind of stuff. So um, but he's you know He's like any other artist He had to reinvent himself And I think he really did that Always very successfully When he did it
2: I know that term is used a lot But it really, but it, really it really
1: applies to him It really really does
2: And where did they Where did he meet Brenda Your mom
1: uh, At the Racquet Club In Dayton Ohio He was part of the Comedy duo Called Burns and Carlin Which was Jack Burns And my dad And it was 1961 Jack in, Burns 1960 Yeah Jack Burns And he Wait so that's... Remember Burns and Schreiber I don't Oh okay They used to have a show In the 70s Yeah yeah, so Jack Burns was, at, when Don Knotts left the Andy Griffith show, Jack Burns was the next deputy, and he, his famous kind of like little tick thing was like, huh huh sure, sure, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, huh, huh, huh and so those Andy Griffith shows are great. Um, so yeah, he and my dad met doing radio and went on the road and had a, a ton of ton of success, but my dad always knew he would be a solo artist, and they ended up splitting. But yeah, they met in 1960, Dayton, Ohio, at the Racket Club, which was a hell This club was amazing. Dayton, Ohio, 1960. Who were the up-and-comers there? Phyllis Diller, Jonathan Winters, my dad. I mean, these are like all Ohio-based comics who were, you know, having, getting some real traction in their careers. And... And, and kind of mentoring, you know, like Phyllis Diller, when I met her, she says, I remember your parents making out in the coat room at the racket club. I'm like, oh, I can die now. <laughs> oh, my God. What a great fucking story.
2: Did, did you because I know amongst uh, first of all, I always preface this. I before I say the negative part, I'll say the positive part. I think there's so many great comedians today if you're out there and you really know what's going on I'm yes. so positive about it I think the it's better, amazing it's amazing and yeah. there's some really just not just a few a shit ton of yeah. great comics so I say that but then also I and I spend a lot of energy talking about great comics mm. Um but then also, I like, to be honest, like behind closed doors to really make fun of bad comedy. And by the way, <laughs> it's never a two-year comic. Of course not. And not unless you're a fucking psycho. Right. Two-year comic can suck and grow into Right. Even a comic. That's,
1: it's your job at two years is to suck.
2: Right. And I'm never sitting placing judgment on yeah. a friend. Yeah. But a guy that's doing it or a woman, 15 years, yes. that, they just suck. And it's just, I love talking about it and I can't get it. Did your dad do that?
1: <laughs> no. No, I I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my dad about
2: Didn't co- no that. comic drove him fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't setting him up for well, it. Well, actually, it, uh, Todd. No. <laughs> uh <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm not am not God,
1: no. I don't, you know, I I just I knew what he loved and what made him laugh.
2: Who were some of his favorite comedians? Uh
1: Jackie Mason. He would go if he if Jackie Mason was in town, my dad would go every Night and just be weeping, um same thing with Dame Edna, something about Dame Edna, My dad would go every night, if she,
2: you say every night, every night, where
1: if they were in town, if they came to l a or if he was in New York or whatever, and they were doing a run here, my dad would be in the back somewhere, standing in the back, not sitting in a, you know at a thing and 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 he would go like those are the kind of people that just made him weep with joy, um. Uh, Watching uh, a a Peter Sellers movie with my, uh, you know, a Pink Panther movie with my dad was always great fun. Um, I talk about in the show, you know, watching TV, uh, comedy on TV is, you know, in the 70s, you know, uh, that was always fun. But he didn't. There were no comics in my life. There were no comics hanging around our house. I met I happened to meet Richard Pryor because they were both being inducted into the Comedy Hall of Fame at the same night. Um, And were they friends? They were friends. They knew each other from the early '60s in the village. So they were both doing the hoot and nannies in the the small clubs down there. Um, But friends. My dad was a loner. My dad didn't hang out with. My dad hated, hated, hated hanging out with comics and shooting shit like you. You know how like we love to do to sit around like and and one up each other and make each other. Hated that. Really? Would never, ever do that. Didn't mind a meet and greet. Didn't mind a nice conversation. He loved emailing comics. He loved calling them. I found out after he died that my dad... It's amazing what I found out after he died. My dad would... He... Some... You know, he, my dad would travel a lot, do a lot, you know, 200 gigs a year or whatever it was. It slowed down the last few years when he was not as well. But, um, so he would go all over and he would always give the interview to the local college paper kid. And, and then the kid would say, and I, I, I met one of them or two of them. They'd say, you know, Hey, uh, so my dad would say, do you do comedy? Yes. I'm just starting out. I'm doing open mics. Oh, well, what are some of your bits? Talk to me about it. Da, 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 da. They would exchange information. My dad would call these kids, these open mic kids, six months later. How you doing? How's it working out? How are the bits? What are you learning? He would mentor these kids. I had no idea about this. Had no That's idea. Awesome. It was just, it's just beautiful because my dad, my dad and I never had these conversations. I mean, at first, when I first heard about this, I have to tell you, I was a little jealous. Because I didn't have those conversations with my dad. He did not. My dad was a very much like didn't want me to at, at all feel any pressure to do A, B or C and didn't want to shape me at all. His mother was very controlling and it was his only parent. And but I, you know, I'd always kind of wished, you know, that I was Sophia Coppola and uh, my dad, you know, like I wanted that artistic relationship with my dad. So when I first heard about this, I was like. Uh you know I didn't have any conversations about my aunt or any He didn't ask me about it but, um <laughs> um so I was a little bitter at first and then heartbroken and cried and then I was like, Oh my god that's and and it's just so beautiful and it's just it's so beautiful and generous of him, and that's who he was, but sit around at a coffee shop uh, not his thing no he couldn't do it he just and so there weren't a lot of and I don't know because he never took me to a comedy club. My dad did not come up in comedy clubs, so comedy clubs weren't even a part of my existence. I mean,
2: where did he? What, where did he come up?
1: Well, he came up in Copacabana, Playboy okay. you know, the, like they were dinner theater lounge, you know, it was, it was that kind of thing. He would open for the main musical act, you know, um,
2: and were there restrictions on his language and
1: certainly, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. He got, he got, he started getting fired <laughs> a lot when he started deciding to not restrict his language anymore. You know, I, there's a story that he used to tell about, um, he talks about it in his book. It was a Playboy Club in Lake Geneva, and this is after he dropped acid a bunch of times, and he just, he wanted to get fired. He did not want to be there anymore. It was like a two-week gig or something, and one night he just went up on stage and laid underneath the grand piano on stage and just read, the, to the audience all the things that were uh, like the little placards and things that were on it and described the wood and he just wanted to get and they wouldn't they wouldn't do it because they made him play out his contract right yeah so he, he would try to get fired sometimes and so but I had I didn't know any of that see I didn't I was shielded from all of that I didn't know any of that was going on I was just a little kid at home going hey dad teach me how to ride a bike
2: right you know and and did you before you like now you have your uh, your your radio shows on XM yeah oh. On mm-hmm. Was there a period when you had interest had nothing to do with this business? Like
1: uh, briefly, yes. Uh, in two thousand and one, I went and got my master's degree in uh, Jungian uh, psychology, so I have a master's in psychology. And what's that, Jungian? Jungian. It's Carl Jung. He was uh, a student of Freud, and his his uh, psychology is based on uh, like archetypes and mythology and dream work and. Uh, it's it's kind of the, uh, I mean, like a lot of the, his lingo is uh, the, the collective unconscious and things like that. That's all Jungian stuff. If you know the about this guy, Joseph Campbell, he's a mythologist. Uh, a lot of Joseph Campbell's stuff it lines up with, with Carl Jung's stuff. And, uh, and I went there um, to, you know, learn more about the human journey and I wanted to integrate it into my art, into my storytelling and my theater work and stuff like that, so... But I can also, you know, if I want to, I can be a therapist. And I am a life coach. I I got certified as a life coach. So I did that for a while, too. So, yeah, that's what I was doing until my dad died. And then I was like, okay, back to showbiz.
2: Right. Um... The uh, How long does the, uh, because I don't want to forget to ask this later, the show, I'll just say it now so I don't forget later, the show goes from January 28th to March 1st.
1: Yeah, it's a five week run, we do shows, I do shows five nights a week. I've never done anything like this before, the longest I've ever done is three nights in a row at the Toronto Just for Laughs Festival, but, and, and, and that was two years ago. And so I
2: never go see anything, but I'm
1: definitely going to go see this. No, Todd, you were required to come see this because I like- you are such a George Carlin fan. My favorite thing in the world, and you have to tell me what night you're coming, my favorite thing in the world is getting knowing that there's a comic in the audience. When Kevin Smith came to the show and I, I knew he was there, it was such a joy for me to do the show that night. I mean, it always is, but there's something particularly knowing that there's a comic who who was shaped by my dad and, and loves him dearly, that it's... My brother it's got me a,
2: into him. When we were younger, we would listen to his uh, record. Uh-huh. My brother listened to it, and I didn't even know what he was saying always. Yes. Because I was... I forget how old I was, but I might have been... Okay, that house... I was in fourth grade, maybe?
1: So you were like nine. Yeah, maybe nine, yeah. nine,
2: ten. My brother was two years older than me, but... Then, as I, when I did understand what he was saying, and this is when I realized that comedy, I mean, I remember very specifically that I knew what the fuck they were talking about. Mm. My teachers, I didn't. Because it just didn't. But then when a comic, Mm. and especially, well, only your dad at this point, Mm. said something, I'm like, oh, that makes fucking sense. And you know why? (laughs) Because it did. Because it fucking did now that I'm an adult. Because he was telling the truth. Yes. And then later I thought, yeah, because comics get get paid to tell the truth. Right. So unless they're lazy or dumb, why wouldn't they? Right. Politicians, sort of the opposite. Sure. Like, if you figure out, oh, yeah, you get paid, you just tell the truth. Then you don't ignore facts. You have no agenda. Your only agenda is to fucking clean shit up that doesn't fucking make sense. And then when I would listen to your dad, I was like, oh, my fucking God. Thank God. (laughs) Meanwhile, other people I found out would say oh he's getting angry i'm like no he's not getting angry he just disagrees <laughs> with you you pile of shit does that make any does that resonate with you in someone like his oh, views on religion
1: over it, over and over again there's always he got so angry in the end it's like you, and you know what a part of me would flinch to i'd be like gee dad fucking fucking calm down a little bit i was always worried about his heart because you know anger in your heart's really just not supposed to go together well but um, Maybe it's good, too. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I think the the, the studies on it says, that, you know, but but he channeled it there. And for him, it was outrage. It was outrage. Um, and it was outrage at, uh, it, you know, even though he claimed he wasn't trying to wake anyone up. Uh, he did? Yeah. He, he said he was just there to make people laugh.
2: And I I, than preach. Yeah, I mean,
1: funnier than preach. You know, and when he said, you know, I I mean, I called, you know, I've got a, a proud moment in my life because he was, you know, always giving all these interviews and I've given up on the species and we're just circling the drain and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I said to dad, well, you know, dad, if you really believe that, then why do you even bother getting on a stage anymore? And he looked at me and he's like, all right, okay, you got me, you know, and that's when he started talking about how he was actually a, you know, a broken hearted idealist. And that and that's why, like, because, you know, he stopped he stopped voting in 19 after 1972 when McGovern lost Nixon because he thought it's over. There's no all this all this work we just did the last, you know, 12 years in this country to make change and we get fucking Nixon, you know. <laughs> it's not working. Never, he... The system is the system is the system and it's it's they're not going to let us change it. Ultimately, you know, it's it's run by the people who who run the war machines, you know. So, um, so I think that's when he really then could could take um, a real detached stance, and that's really what it was for him. Is he had this, you know, professionally had a very detached stance about the planet and the species and and all of that, but he was one of the most sentimental men I've ever met. So, you know, it, it the heart comes out somewhere always, you know. So.
2: And did his parents get to see any of his success?
1: His dad died when he was young, and he didn't know his dad. And his mother, uh, yeah, his mom died in the eighties. So yeah, she. Plus did. So she got oh, to yeah. go to shows and stuff. Oh yeah. Did oh, she yeah.
2: have? Was she? Did they think alike at all?
1: She was uh, an amazing, sharp-witted, sharp-tongued Irish woman who told great stories about just coming home on the bus. You know, she was <laughs> she was born and raised in Manhattan, and uh, so she had a the sharpest wit ever and a great storyteller. And his father was um, uh, an ad sales ga- guy for all the big newspapers, but he was uh, an award-winning storyteller. So both sides of his family had this amazing gift of the gab. So it, it filtered right into him, certainly.
2: You know what? I, I have some a few more questions, but I also have to go to the
1: bathroom. Oh, well, I... So what I, I'm going to do... Stop you too that. <laughs> I'm to go to the
2: bathroom. Well, oh, wait, but... Let me ask this: This is something that I when when I first started talking about not believing in um, God and there's so many specifics of that. Yes, But the, of the, 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 the there's a plan, right? Um, I was nervous. I remember this was only eight years ago, ten years ago. And my friend goes, "What are you nervous about?" And and your dad started that probably in the '90s, talking about his his true beliefs.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't know when that religion is bullshit album was
2: did he ever get I know this sounds like a weird question but I'm thinking if I dealt with it eight years ago and he was way before that did, was there ever any no nobody like is he kidding? ever scared
1: are you kidding the fucking oh. death threats from the Christians oh so I have a, it's a good question oh Should yeah play
2: that rude thing again that's <laughs> where I get a good question
0: <laughs>
2: hold on I have a better one you just i'll say well, there anything you say are you kidding me the religious things and then i think this could be better <laughs> okay go ahead was he so nine to eight years ago the thing is was there any did he ever get any retaliation because of that uh,
1: you uh, yes the 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 death threats from the christians were terrifying
2: <laughs> so so it wasn't a dumb question so here's what i'm going to do um I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And okay. And we'll come back and we'll go in for the descent. It goes so quick. Okay, then. And plus, I want to see the show. Yes. How many does the theater hold?
1: 120.
2: Oh, that's a good amount. It's
1: a, full, it's a real equity theater, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, it's a beautiful, it's a nice space.
2: All right. Um, what do you want to...
1: Go pee. What? <laughs> 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 you'll keep talking. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I know you now.
2: Put on a hat and go to work, you shallow cunt. <laughs> <laughs> we we were just saying while i peed that i like materialistic things i just hope it's in perspective in is persp- no perspective is not the word in, in the
1: p- proportional p- yes proportion, uh-huh. right, proportion right right right
2: that, that 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 i i wish i was someone that didn't care about any of that stuff at all but i do a little bit i hope it's in proportion yeah. and i always think it's out of proportion and i think of that joke about your dad yeah i'm having a bad hair day um yeah. It, by the way, which could be uh, guys or girls. <laughs> he never said it was. Just sure. one of it. um But um, but because I have, I'm obsessed with my hair certain days. But I always think of that it's being out of perspective when I watch the HGTV shows. Now, uh-huh. look, if I had a house and it had a huge walk-in closet, yeah, I, I could get, I could think it'd be cool. Some people it becomes your fort. You put a chair in there. It's where you go. <laughs> okay, I get it. But when that's all they're obsessed with, oh, and yeah. they show them looking for homes, I need a bigger closet. Oh. And I have so many things. <laughs> I always think, put on a put on a hat, you shallow and, cunt. And, that's, what, that and then that's
1: why when I think, oh, yeah, the species is circling the train. There's no
2: hope. <laughs> what kind of car did your dad drive?
1: He loved BMWs. He always had a BMW. I
2: knew it. Didn't I tell you guys that? Jake, you shut the fuck up. You fucking made it, me In fact, if
1: anyone's interested in buying my dad's 850, I'm selling it in the next three months. Why? Because I've had it for six and a half years, and I want to buy a smart car i want an electric car and Wait and i am also get i'm i'm am i like i like i told you said <laughs> at the beginning i'm letting go you of some of my go. dad's stuff And it's one of those cars too that it's like you know if something major happens I can't afford it I don't have a lot of money I don't I don't have a million dollars in the bank or anything I you know how much are you
2: asking
0: for it?
1: Uh, well it's it's like its market value is like you know almost twenty thousand but because it's my dad's car I want to pump it up a little bit so I don't I don't know yet we can discuss later we should
2: start a uh, (laughs) what is that called the uh, the uh, Uh, Kickstarter the Kickstarter to buy that car I deserve that car
1: you do Todd.
2: Oh, I would just sit in all the time. I'd rub the leather You can come to my and house and see it.
1: it. You, can write, you can drive it around if you want. I'll let you drive it. You speak.
2: know what I do? I, I don't write anywhere. But if I had that car, I would just take my jokes I already had, and then I'd sit in that and, car and I'd write. And
1: this car is a 12-cylinder twelve <laughs> cylinder rocket ship. This is the mo- it's, it's, it's a, I mean, every time I or my husband drive it, we always look at each other and go, it's really fucking fun to drive, isn't it? Yes. But I need a smart car. I, need, I want a new
2: car. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Can I make payments? And don't be mean about it. <laughs> I'll give you six hundred dollars a month. <laughs> if I have it.
1: Um. Just put it out there to the audience. Is anybody is a real car a real Carlin freak and wants to buy his car let's get into that's, bidding let's get into bidding more people buying
2: that car would be more than a that's like m- not just materialistic that's it's got the su- yeah. it's got the energy yeah your, your dad's his sweat, ass sat
1: on his it. sweat is probably still on the steering wheel for all i know jesus what year is it again it's a 96 it's what they only made a few a few years of them and what color is it? it's black on black okay I as like my that. dad would would have in this black blacked out windows and uh like i said it's a rocket ship and it's fun it's really really fun
2: the religious uh, so so the the death threats were and by the way <laughs> scary what i, what I love about not well you'll understand what i love about that and i always remind myself this when i talk about what i believe in religion what i is there someone coming in here wait do we not lock that door who is it Oh, okay. All right, cool. Some Somebody, I get so nervous. Oh, I'm is sure. That, and, I'm sure and, and I don't remember every one of the, the bits specifically, but I think it's funny that when, I remind myself this when I talk about religion, and I also remind the listeners in case there's some, you know, my hardcore people that listen to the show, I don't think it's right. them. But if someone stumbles upon it, I like do this in, in a nervous way. I go, you know, I'm not wishing you any harm.
1: Right. I'm not, I... I no, I, and my dad used to say he would never take anyone's comfort away from it. My My dad is, doesn't... Wasn't in Bill Maher's camp or Richard Dawkins' camp. First of all, my dad did not consider himself an atheist. He considered himself an agnostic, a man who which is allows for the 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 deepest mystery of not knowing. Because but hardcore
2: religious people fucking hate that too.
1: Yes, of course, and and so there he would he there were plenty of letters, plenty of scary death threats, and in fact, when this Charlie Hebdo thing went down or whatever. I, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't fucking comparing it to fucking Charlie Hebdo, like some of the people on Twitter, you know how Twitter, they're all like, I was just saying, you know, and I mean, when I was growing up in 1970, 71, 72, it wasn't religious extremists that you know, scared me. It was the government that scared me. My dad was arrested for speaking, you know, his mind on stage. Lenny Bruce was arrested in 1960 for that, you know, for let language. Me, let me ask
2: you a specific because I always hear those. You know, they got arrested. They got arrested. So, do you, do you remember what are the? It's specifics? in my show. Come, okay, come, okay, good. That's come. good. You know what? It's you're a great right.
1: Great story that I tell on the show. Yeah, yeah, and uh, or read my book later this year. Uh, What's your book called? It's the same same title, Carlin Home Companion. Uh, so, but, but so, uh, you know, growing up, it was us versus them. It was the freaks versus the straights, you know. And now there's this other dichotomy that's been set up, which is, you know, religious extremists versus science is really what's happening. R- a rational, enlightened, age of enlightenment, not enlightened like Buddha enlightenment, but age of enlightenment thinking where we use reason and rational thinking to solve things. And uh, and I you know that's what my dad loved. He, I, the thing I loved about my dad's comedy was that he would use the same kind of rational logic to walk you into the most absurd premise comedic premise ever but he would use the logic and he would keep you going in this most like when he did the thing about the four states the, the states and that they the square states all needed to become like prison camps and you'd put the psychopaths here and these people here and, this, and then we'd have like you know public executions pay-per-view and and this is 20 years ago he was doing this bit this was outlandish outrageous but he used the perfect logic to walk you into a place where you were willing to agree to the most absurd fucking premise on planet earth because he used logic with it i just i that was my favorite part about you know listening to my dad
2: I'm, i'm with you and that's to me what made sense is that when someone's lying to you you get, you, even when you're younger, you smell it. You just might not be able to, to brilliantly break it down, but it doesn't make sense. And then when I would hear someone talk, like I, I think this applies to this. Jimmy Dore says that you can't ration somebody out of something that they didn't ration into. Mm-hmm. So since I didn't do anything unless it made sense, or at least that's what I, when I would hear your dad speak, boy, that's it really made me calm. And it made me have some sanity in my head and yeah. clear things up for me. And God damn it, that was like a big deal for me. But it,
1: but but here, and, and that is really important. And yet there's this other thing that happens that I've seen, especially in social media, and why I finally backed away from all this Facebook stuff was because people didn't understand that there is a, a man, George Carlin, who walks the streets and eats dinner. And then there's the stage persona you know, where he ramped up and amped up his energy, his absurdity, his premises for theatrical purpose. You know, there was there's some things that he said that he it was a comedic thing he was doing. He didn't actually believe you should be doing that thing. Right. And people take all that shit at face value now and they literally worship him for it. And I'd be like people he's a comedian remember that his first job was to make you laugh so he would take these absurd premises to do that
2: and kelly you don't think i had to fucking live and breathe that with that bit he did about the name todd you don't think that fucking <laughs> yes. Yes. you want me to roll that in right, right now <laughs> right right exactly hold on one second roll that in right now so people know what we're talking about and i'm getting really sick of
0: guys named todd You know, yeah, it's just a goofy, it's a goofy fucking name, okay? Hi, what's your name? Todd. I'm Todd. And this is Blake and Blair and Blaine and Brent. Where are all these goofy fucking boys' names coming from? Taylor, Tyler, Jordan, Flynn. These are not real names. You want to hear a real name? Eddie. Eddie is a real name. Whatever happened to Eddie? He was here a minute ago. Joey and Jackie and Johnny and Phil, Bobby and Tommy and Danny and Bill. What happened? Todd! And Cody and Dylan and Cameron and Tucker. Hi, Tucker. I'm Todd. Hi, Todd. I'm Tucker. Fuck Tucker. Tucker sucks. And fuck Tucker's friend Kyle. Yeah, there's another soft name for a boy, Kyle. Soft names make soft people. I'll bet you anything that ten times out of ten, Nikki, Vinny, and Tony will beat the shit out of Todd, Kyle, and Tucker.
2: Imagine if I heard that. Bit. Yes. By the way, I only heard that bit years later because somebody tweeted me. They're like, you sure you still like George Carlin? And look at this bit he says about Todd.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I can
2: get over it. And that's the,
1: and that's the thing. Exactly. You know, and uh, it's like the thing about golf courses. My husband and I play golf and everyone's like, oh, your father must fucking hate you for that. And I'm like, all right, chill out, fucking nut job. Like, that's the it's other- like, it's like, first of all, um, my husband and I play on public courses. I explained to my dad, "It's a beautiful afternoon. It's you're out in nature. You're doing this thing. You're have, hanging out with friends. I'm on a public course. It's not like I'm, you know, Dick Cheney chopping up another piece of America for my own fucking bank account. Doing this, <laughs> you know, the whole, you know, it was elitism. My father was talking See, about
2: that. That's. It. I'm so glad you stumbled upon that because. It, it It is, you know, like, it's not your job, but it sure is nice. And Ugh. by the way, smart people will... Smart people get it. For, and by the way...
1: But worshippers, they want to worship anything, and they'll fucking pick him to worship, and it just... And which is they, so ironic.
2: I think there's a group of people that no matter what you say, they're using it to their own agenda. Of course. But I think there's another group that already knows what you're saying. But I think why it's good for you to say it is I think there is... I, I'm trying to be positive, because I think it's a realistic positiveness. There's also another group of people that might have thought that, and when you say it, they go... Oh, okay, I get that. I'm glad to know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And the golf course thing is like, as soon as you say it was about elitism, it was. Yeah, wasn't- it's
1: about white male privilege. Right. My, my dad was talking about white male privilege way before there was a fucking hashtag for it. He, right. 20 years ago he was talking about it. You and know? he punched,
2: he always you know, I thought people got confused because I always think I say what I say so clearly, but then you learn you don't. Someone goes, well how can you do comedy without offending people? And I went, oh my god, I have to clear that up. I don't give a fuck about offending people. Offend away. Right. Just make sure you offend the right group. Right. Don't offend the group that's looking for a fucking hug.
1: Well, yes. And, and my dad always made sure that he, you know my dad was a big believer in Fighting for the underdog, and he would he would never attack a, an oppressed group of people. But the fun thing was, and this is where the the it's, it's so delicate and beautiful though is that he hated PC language, which was created by groups that had been oppressed that were trying to find identity in this country. So we have all these identity groups now, and they create these rules about how to speak about things. And that drove my dad crazy because that's still that's that's cutting off people's language and speech and and their ability to communicate. And so it's kind of ironic in a way that my dad would never certainly attack the African-American community or gay, lesbian or anything like that or women or anything like that. But he would absolutely attack them if they were trying to uh, shut down uh, discourse in some way. So, I, I just, you know, uh, it's, it's, but it's a nuanced thing. It's, and it's a big conversation we are obviously right, having right, right, right now right. in the world and on every level.
2: Yeah, there, there's times. So, I'm, I'm going to go see the show. I, because I feel like, you know, you don't get degree, you, you don't get. Doctorates in comedy Well you could But you know what I mean you, Yeah the, the degrees in comedy To me A degree you, you know And I'm gonna get make it my own After I go see your show I feel like that There's the type of degree You get a degree <laughs> Like not education But comedy So I'm gonna be there I and, can't wait um, I'm very excited And uh, there's like It's one of those things Where you, you hear people say God there's so many more questions Than there are But next time
1: Yeah I'll we'll come back later in the year
2: And we'll be silly And we'll be able to Um
1: more jingles, yeah. More jingles.
0: Mm-hmm. All
2: right. Is there anything is there anything that you uh, didn't want to you wanted to say?
1: Uh I don't, I don't. Hey, if I so. show
2: up to your show, do you want me to open up? I'll do some of your like I'll do like a half an hour of your dad's material. <laughs> It'll be great. I'll drive that car up. I really want that car. Like I I get it. Like that car is worth there's somebody out there. Like, I'm not. I'm look. You're gonna get what you get for the car, right? But it's worth forty. It's worth fifty thousand dollars. It's worth more. It.
1: It, it could be. It could be. I'm it, gonna
2: start it, it Guys, could be. Let's get that kick started. You know, I became friends with Harry Styles. I bet he. So <laughs> he might sing on our show. You know,
1: I casually <laughs> mentioned it to Jay. You know, because Leno's right, the car guy and all of that, and he didn't. What? He, not even a glint in his eye for it. Okay, and I don't, thought,
2: don't don't even make me say something now that I don't want to say. So out of
1: all the. Okay, I'm going to say it.
2: Out of all the goddamn fucking cars that he has, he should have that car.
1: Right, don't you think?
2: Of course. There's no. th- what the fuck is wrong with him?
1: <laughs> would you call him up and
2: ask him? <laughs> I, would, I would. By the way, I, I think like I'm not being too mean. That that car is not just a materialistic thing. That's a soul. You're buying a soul. You're buying... What the fuck? What Whose car? Yeah, yeah, 1922s will do it. I can't even imagine him calmly going... I can, by the way, you're not saying this. I am. But I can't imagine him out with friends... And even going, you know, I'll, I'll do his voice. Like, not making it like, of course I love George Carlin. George Carlin was a staple of comedy. I just, you know, I, 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 I'm not negating that. I mean, George, holy shit, it's George Carlin. Every comedian respects him. I just don't see why I would want the car. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you yeah, what? That doesn't make sense. All right, that's how we'll close the show.
0: <laughs> Fucking Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.
2: Listeners, help the Todd Glass Show stay free uh, by downloading and completing this short anonymous survey. It'll take no more than five minutes. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers. You know, that why we're not advertising shit you don't want. So just take a little survey and it'll help us, you know... Meet the, you know, the, the, the sensibility of our podcast listeners, okay? Listeners will complete a survey. They will be entered into a monthly raffle, and they could win a $100 Amazon gift card. Wow. That ain't bad. Look, we promise not to share your email address, and we won't send you emails unless you win. Please go to com slash glass, podsurvey slash Glass. This podsurvey.com slash glass to take your survey. Just do it, please. I don't ask for much. You win a $100 Amazon gift card, and you can buy your grandmother a, a chocolate cock.